You're listening to an Mpavilion podcast. Conversations about design and the world we live in. For more, visit our archive at mpavilion.org and subscribe wherever you find your podcasts. Good evening, everybody. So tonight we have a fantastic opportunity to find out about what this structure is all about. And we've got a wonderful group of people here that know all about it. But before we get underway, we'd like to acknowledge the people of the Eastern Kulin Nations as the traditional custodians of the land on which we meet today. We pay our respects to their land, their ancestors and their elders, past, present and to the future. We also acknowledge the traditional custodians of various lands where anyone is listening to a recording of this event. So this wonderful group of people around me are responsible for this magnificent structure that we're sitting under. And isn't it absolutely beautiful? Yes. Thank you. Thank you. That's what I need. And, and um, people have come from far and wide to be here tonight, and I'd like to introduce everyone on the stage. And firstly, of course, Naomi Milgram, founder of uh, this foundation and the M Pavilion. So founder of the Naomi Milgram Foundation and the M Pavilion. And the Naomi Milgram Foundation is a non-profitable charitable organisation that exists to in- initiate and support great public design and architecture pro- projects just like this. <clears throat> I have next to me Ratchaporn Chishui. I think I've got that right with a bit of training. And uh, so Ratchaporn is the architect for this wonderful structure. She's from All Zone in Bangkok. The studio is based in Bangkok. And um, I've just found out that she's just arrived here, and this is her really the reveal of, of for her seeing the structure in situ. And she's, there's smiles everywhere, so obviously she's very happy. She is. And she's brought her staff out here also. And I think there's seven staff that you've brought out for this event. Six staff have come. They're all there. I do notice, I went to your website, they're all dressed in black on your website and they're all dressed in black tonight. So you force them to. So they're doing the right thing. Um, but I went on Archetizer to read about your practice and um, it says... Uh, AllZone is a group of happy design professionals who joyfully collaborate with specialists across the borders of their fields and I think that philosophy is seen here tonight, so welcome. I also have Dr Leanne Zilke, Zilka, sorry, sitting to my left and um, she's the project architect for this wonderful structure. Uh, she's a local architect and has Zilka Studios. Now, Leanne is a practicing architect, and she's also an an academic at RMIT University. And her specialist knowledge and approaches to fabric-based structures have assisted in the realization of this pavilion. Uh, And she was also involved in the 2018 Kame Pinos Pavilion, which you might remember, with the intersecting slatted planes that were sitting on this same location. Welcome, Leanne. I have Nigel Burton, who's to my right. Now, Nigel's a structural engineer with ACOM, and uh, he's been working on the M Pavilions for the last, what, four or five years, Nigel? Three years, thank you. And um, 
Oh, we had a pandemic. So four years by calendar, three years in reality. <clears throat> so welcome, Nigel. And I have also uh, with us tonight Peter Lim, who's sitting on my left. Now, I believe you're the godfather of uh, fabric structures, Peter. And, and uh, he was hooked in as part of the Tenzies group uh, because Peter's been working in the field of fabric structures and, and fabric geometries for the past 35 years, I believe. And he's well recognised internationally for his work in Asia in the field of these fabric structures, particularly STFE, which I understand is the fabric structure at the top, keeping the weather out. And um, so welcome, Peter. And I also have Chloe Dang, who's at the end of the stage. Chloe's with uh, a company called Oasis Tension Structures. And Chloe spent, I understand, many hours putting the lower level of this structure together. Uh, and I think you can almost drive a cherry picker now, from what I've been told. Well, you spent certainly a long time in one. So she's had her hands all over this structure. And uh, I'm Peter Madison. Uh, I'm a practicing architect here in Melbourne, have been so for many decades. So very pleased to be here tonight to run this discussion. So tonight we really want to get to the bottom of how this all came about. Um, these things just don't happen by chance. There's a lot of work, a lot of planning, a lot of pre-planning and a lot of effort to make it all come together. And I guess it starts with finding an architect like Ratchaporn. And, and I wanted to ask if I could, Naomi, how do you find these wonderful architects? And they're all from such diverse backgrounds. Each year it's a surprise, almost like the pavilion itself, when you come up with a new designer. Yes, March the 15th, you'll hear about the next one. Um, I guess Rashaporn was a very hidden architect from my point of view. I hadn't read or heard about her, but in 2019, she was the keynote speaker at our, one of our conferences, Living City, um, the Living City Forum. And I was just struck by the way she spoke about architecture in such a dare I say it, feminine and soft way. It was an architecture which she felt um, first and foremost about humanity. And it struck me as very different to the way everybody else I had worked with um, looked at architecture. Some of the images that she showed from the very beginning of her talk were images of um, buildings in Bangkok that had actually been abandoned, many, many floors of concrete. Um, which had been left, I think, after the financial crisis. And the way she filled them with materials to actually generate housing for homeless and people who were disadvantaged and how she managed to make them homely in a way, um, which you wouldn't imagine with... Um, it looked like sort of plastic sheeting. Obviously, it wasn't only plastic sheeting, but she managed to make it look so homely in these concrete jungles. And I thought anybody who could make architecture look so um, captivating in such a tough environment was someone that I want to explore what she could do with the pavilion. Yeah, and, and what's, what's fantastic is, is, Naomi, the team that's built around this this structure, uh, 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 experts in the field of this lovely, softer style of building. Um, and Peter, you're a, a tensile fabric guy, 
And Leanne, you've certainly uh, got experience in, in fabrics, a fabric ton of arch architecture. Um, and, and I just am fascinated how the team came to be. And I wonder, Ratchapon, if you could explain how these experts, uh, structure, fabric, uh, assembly, how, how the team was put together. Um, actually, we started working the first with the ideas of how to make a kind of structure that um, make people feel very relaxed because uh, we just we started this uh, right after COVID, like long lockdown also in, in Bangkok. And then we start first to talk with this um, about this idea with the team and first it was Nitro. And he was like, mm. <laughs> Nigel was very skeptical. I know. <laughs> it was like, it was like, no, you cannot have everything loose. But I said, why? <laughs> and uh, and little by little, actually, it was Nigel who uh, got Peter, the Godfather. Yeah, in with us because he said that we would need someone like Peter to to help us to to realize. And then Leanne came along because of. Um, the team that uh, the Empavilion team uh, actually precisely uh, chose Leanne to work with us because she has a lot of knowledge about fabric, of course, uh, also in architecture as well. And then um, Chloe came along with uh, Peter, who is not only the engineers, uh, who help us to calculate and make all the tensile structure here uh, possible, but also the manufacturing part of this is extremely important that um, Peter introduced us to Oasis, that clo that's why we have Chloe here. So you got a pretty pretty good team at the end. Extremely. Yeah. And this wouldn't happen without one of them. Yeah, all critical. And so I just want to unpack that a little bit more because this structure is very deceiving. I was just speaking to my wife just before I came up and I, it's very, this, 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 this building looks ephemeral, like it's just floating like a cloud or a flower, but I'm sure it's extremely technical. So it has this duality of looking loose and um, uh, freeform, yet I'm sure, Nigel, it's a button-down debuggery. Yes, the... Um the challenge of creating something that is loose is obviously that under wind or movement there isn't any tension in the structure to hold its shape and how does it perform so that it uh, doesn't get damaged in the wind or move too much. And so when, we, when Rashborn came to me I explained to her this problem that normally tensile structures have tension in them, they may have curves, but they generally have tension to control their behaviour. And so what she was asking for was a really fascinating engineering challenge, effectively. So we began, and uh, the, the unusual nature of it is such that uh, you re it's the craft that Rashaporn and Peter and, and Oasis went through, is, it's a craft. And we identified, really, that we needed to bring on someone like Peter. Um, tensile structures are normally designed by, um, con by contractors. They're designed and construct, typically. Um, and we needed to bring someone on right from day one who not only could, was a specialist in it, but actually understood how they moved, how the, the fabrics would go together and move. And of course, Peter, who does this on a day-to-day -day basis, was the perfect person to bring into the team to work with us to pull that together. C can you just explain the three layers briefly? Why are there three layers? 
and what's working here? So the three layers, the, the lower layer is obviously architecturally what Rashaporn has as the veil, sort of the, the waffle as it's referred to. The upper layer is fishing net, so it's beyond what, at the moment you're actually looking at the intermediate layer, but above the, um, the colourful top layer is actually made from fishing net. But the challenge was how do we make it weather tight? And of course for the pavilion we have talks, it rains, we need sort of a little bit of weather protection. Um, so the challenge was how do we introduce weather protection while creating the visual effect of both the waffle and the layer at the top. And the solution to that was this intermediate tensile layer which is made out of STFE, which probably Peter can probably elaborate on, but is a sort of a groundbreaking um, tensile fabric um, which is translucent but has the strength to be stressed in this manner. So the desire was the intermediate sort of invisible layer that would provide the rain protection essentially. But wasn't that the challenge for you, Rashaporn, because you'd never built a weatherproof type of this architecture? Exactly. Um, we've done some uh, pavilions with fabric in the past, but it was more temporary. It would, be, it would last for let's say a few days, and the one that lasts very long, it was in Chacha, so there was no problem with the rain, <laughs> so they need rains. <laughs> so this one is really a challenging issue. Uh, we try a lot of approaches, how we are going to deal with materials that um, actually can retain the rains, but at the same time uh, give us this um, ambience of being relaxed and all that. So um, thanks to, to Peter, uh, at some point he was like, do we need one thing to do the three things? So that's kind of Eureka moment that, ah, we don't need one roof to do everything. So we started to explore this idea of, of different layers of the roof doing different things. And I was just following on that, Naomi, the, the need for weather protection. Uh, I love last year's light catcher, but um, uh, you, you know my son got married under the light catcher, and we, we in the family call it the heat catcher. <laughs> um, but um, was it part of the brief to have a weatherproof, shadeproof structure this year? Uh, it has been part of the brief every year. Uh, I don't think the Venetians heard us. Um, and yes, it was the heat catcher and we tried very hard to put sails through it to protect us from the heat, which I think Peter also contributed to. And the, luckily the Venetian architects couldn't make it here because of the lockdown, so I don't think they were so happy about that aspect. <laughs> so, Peter, I'm, I'm going to ask about the... Um the STFE, this magic material, and how difficult it is, uh, how do you work it? Can you just unlock some secrets behind this? Uh, yeah, sure. The um, STFE is actually a brand new material. Um, I mean, in fabrics or tension fabrics, there are a lot of different materials. And as Rajapon said, that um, there was this look and trying to study how to get one material to do everything. And then the talk went into more trying to do more layers then it sort of occurred to me that we're starting to look at a study of light that Rajapon needs to uh, see how light goes through this 
and you've got a layer that is the fishing net, then you've got this waffle layer, which makes that middle layer something that needs to be a, uh, a highly translucent uh, and highly transparent layer. So at the same time, we just finished a job in the UK on the uh, Brent Cross station, and we had this new super-duper material that the uh, manufacturer Search Ferrari had developed, and we used it for the canopies. Then I thought, oh, maybe we could use it here, and that was where it started. It's a very new fabric. It is, was, this a, is this a first? Uh, it is a first in Australia. Uh, Brent Cross was uh, a year before, and there's another small canopy in France. So it's very, uh, in, in a sense that because it's very experimental, and again, you know, uh, when I have a commercial client and I say I'm going experimental, they call up the lawyers. <laughs> so, so in we this didn't case, do that. Uh, yes, correct. So, so this is the thing Luckily. that I think with M Pavilion, and because it's a installation and and also not just an architectural building, but also an art piece, you, you push the boundary, which I think your team Naomi let us do. That we we all push the boundary. We 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 were doing things that uh, like there are things here that I've not done before, and that is what you've encouraged by commissioning this thing because if we push this boundary here later on it'll find its way into some commercial application but coming back to your question about the stfe it is very difficult to work with and it was developed really to do a different problem it was actually to address um, stadiums like if you look at the stadium and when you have the sun come up and down one end of the stadium will always not get sun on the grass and a good example is actually out at the Docklands. They actually have to replace the south side of the lawn or the grass in every year. And that's not a cheap uh, solution. So they developed this actually to address that market to provide something that's transparent. And this material actually allows 50% of UV to come through uh, to let the grass grow. Uh, and that's how that material came from. And, it, and it's called STFE. It's a... the. The thing with the material is that the strength is actually in the weaves. It's an acrylate weave. And when I say acrylate, you think, oh, well, what is that? And that is actually a material, it's a chemical material that's very strong, used in the automotive industry. It's actually inside the solar panels that you use, the black lines, that's acrylate. And so that's used for the weave. And then the coating onto it, the transparent bits are all the coating on it, which is a fluorpolymer coating. So it's a chemical compound of you know, carbon and fluorine. So they're very strong and they don't break down. This would be the biggest project you've worked on, wouldn't it? Uh, could be. <laughs> <laughs> Leanne, I just wanted to talk about the, the actual construction. You're on site, you're the project manager. Um, could you tell us about the way it went together, the difficulties in dealing with something so experimental, um, you know, the joys and the nightmares. Sure. Um, so I think when people see soft and floppy materials, we, we always go, oh, that looks really easy. In fact, Rushpon, I think she's getting phone calls going, can we just, you know, rent it? Set just it come, up now, yeah, set tomorrow? it up like a tent. <laughs> but actually it's, it's unbelievably complex to get the forms to behave and to have the three layers discreetly hidden within the structure. So I don't know, if you walk around this outside, you can see lots of these little forks that are um, welded to the steel structure. And Chloe will probably add to the complexity of, you know, um, connecting all of those things to the one structure. So 
that's what's quite deceiving. The other thing is the movement, which is real, a real achievement because engineers don't like things that move, as Nigel said. Um, the geometry is really complex. So there's lots of complex curves that it is even more complex because you've got the articulation through the strips of the fabric. So you can see cables that are... I hope I'm not going to give away your secrets. But you can see cables that are connected. So they, they are stable. They don't move. But what is moving is the clouds. So it is a very stable structure. So um, the illusion of it kind of all moving is partly illusion. So all of these things, um, I guess, yeah, that's... And Leanne, you do research also at RMIT. You're not just a practising architect. And I noticed that you're right into weaving as a form of architecture. Um, is this a new frontier, the idea of, um, I guess, fully sculptural form making? Well, fabric, um, I mean, look, I look closely at fashion because fashion deals with the most complex form, the body, where you have the shoulder joint is probably more complex than, than any kind of um, building that you'll see. Is this where you're going to start talking about this semi-secky sewing machine? Yes, maybe. <laughs> So they have a lot of knowledge on how, like, for example, the pleat. I talk about a pleat a lot because that is a term that refers to um, creating a curve through fabric, whereas we talk about folding and it's pretty kind of planar. So looking at fabric, looking at fashion and textile, we, we, we learn a lot around making things with complex curve. And isn't it the way where architecture's going where we're not just doing 2D anymore? I mean... Uh, this pavilion is one example, but if we look around the way we do drawings in three dimensions, the way we give them to contractors uh, digitally, and they have the machinery, uh, CNC routers, they have um, uh, GRC concrete, they can make forms three-dimensional. It's a different style of architecture and machinery adapting to it, like the semi-secchi sewing machine, yeah. which, which sews in three dimensions. That's right. Yeah? So industry's moving out of the 2D into the very complex form making. Yeah, and that's the challenge because we don't have, you know, it's quite hard to make complex curves in a building. So, but, you know, fashion textiles, there it is. Sail making is, is a complex curve. So we can definitely learn a lot by looking at those. Yeah, we, we started to talk about cell uh, maker with the cell maker at some point as well to understand the, the way they work. And, but it just we just didn't go into that uh, direction. But that was one of the the studies we did. Also, all the connections are with the uh, nautical fixtures. What fixtures? The all the connections nautical. Oh, yeah, between yeah. the so cabling the stones, and the yeah, fabric yeah, yeah. are all. Yeah, and Chloe, you were up there doing it. You're actually assembling. <laughs> so was that fun or was it a nightmare? Um, it was definitely more fun than a nightmare, but... Um, a combination of boards. It's, it's, <laughs> it's funny. Uh, we, so, for the rope connections, um, so this is where all the tension comes from. Um, there are three ropes for every panel, panel, waffle panel that you see, um, and they all kind of get connected together. We actually got a yachting specialist to come in, um, so they specialise in the roping for yachts. Um, so, all very new to us as well. Um, and it was all kind of a learning process, but uh, essentially I had to teach people how to lash rope <laughs> um, and take on the role of a yachting specialist as well. That's well, well done, because I understand you, you spent a lot of time 
on this site actually assembling? Yeah, it, it was, it was uh, due to everyone just coming together and, you know, basically I just think of myself as the translator of the information and I was just relaying this to everyone involved um, and then being able to get this team together um, and understand the final outcome, even though at the time they're literally just learning how to lash some rope, um, it was really important to everyone involved just so that, it, yeah, it was, it was obviously a complex, it is a complex project um, and then breaking the, that down into bite-sized pieces um, so that everyone could understand it was important. And, and that complexity, I guess, Naomi, is, is the joy and the, I guess, the challenge of engaging, commissioning works that are so experimental um, because there's no, no, no known outcome uh, in terms of timing and so forth. Well, I hope there was a known outcome before we <laughs> started out. But I think part of our mission is to allow people to experiment. And that's why um, I've tried to be so diverse in the choice of architects, so that there are different experiments every time. Um, and I think there have been, even though, um, if I can talk about Carmes, for instance, that Leanne also worked on, Carmes and I met at a Balenciaga exhibition and we both loved um, fabric and fashion. And so to get back to Leanne's work, you could see the folds, but they were in steel and timber. So a very, very different way of approaching this idea of folding or pleating or... So the experimentation has been um, viewed differently by every single architect, which has been a real joy. I'm interested in, in um, if you could help us, Ratchaborn, interpret the colour. It's such a vibrant... Um, joyful expression. Could you tell us why the orange, why the, the crimson and because uh, there's, there's, you could have selected anything. Well, um, as I said, um, we started the idea from like cele celebration. So being in a park, in outdoor space, in summer, after um, the long lockdown and People wanted to get together, to meet each other in the public. And we thought that this should be very vibrant, vibrant colours. And um, She also looked at the branding of Empavision, <laughs> just as a matter of interest. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, um, we didn't really intend that, but I think it is in the spirit. It is. You just <laughs> want another commission. Come on. This is slightly different uh, orange, if you look closely. <laughs> anyway, and then um, actually uh, this uh, issue should uh, go to the, the material selections because actually there's not so many material uh, fabric in architecture available in the world. Yes. Not so many, really. It's very limited. And uh, the one that um, usually you see, especially with the tension, they are, bas they are basic colors. They are like white or gray, right, Peter? Like, do you have any others? Uh, black. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> black, white, gray. And we thought, that, no, that was not really what we wanted. So we went a bit further. Uh, the Actually, at the beginning, we wanted to use like recycled material, blah, blah, blah. It's like we have, we want the world, basically. We wanted the world. We want everything. But uh, it was not really 
possible because maybe it didn't exist or we didn't search hard enough. But then Peter, um, actually, you can tell that he is not only the godfather of the the um, uh, ten size factor, but also this pavilion. He actually re uh, introduced us to the company, Search Ferrari, that they do the fabrics, and. Um, we chose from the availability, uh, as you can imagine, that it was during just we just got out from COVID, right? So everything was still not uh, perfectly uh, running. So they have stocks. <laughs> so we actually we chose the color. Okay, we we made um, a preference on the bright side, and then from their stock, this is what they have. This is the stock that they have available, we use them all, basically. <laughs> we love like, that. <laughs> we use them all, like this uh, orange, uh, also yellow, and a little bit of crimson red. So this all what they have. So we have to work within the, the limitation of the stocks. And, and the, the waffle construction, uh, I noticed, is a kind of an expression you use in your architecture from time to time. Um, and it's very much uh, reminds me of the what we call the brise soleil, which is the way to control light, hitting buildings and controlling the light and sun penetration. And um, it has kind of that retro feel about it at the same time. Um, is that intended in your work? Um, actually, we use this the first time also on a temporary pavilion. We call it Marmalade Sky because we wanted to share the space, but we wanted the people to see the sky at the same time. So it's, uh, you can see through. That's the idea and it's maybe And the marmalade sky structure you did in Thailand was a temporary structure. Yeah, it was that like went up three and went days. Down. Yeah, it, was, it would move like this and Nigel would die to see that. <laughs> it moved like this. <laughs> because he, I remember first uh, one of the meeting we had with him and he said, that, you know what, inside all of us, we have a tiny structural engineer because when things especially building move too much we run away so <laughs> so we have to be uh we, we we actually kind of uh took that as the limit i'm sorry it's true everybody <laughs> <laughs> no no i think it, it is a very good learning for us too like uh our marvelous guy was moving like this and in some way it was quite scary <laughs> The other thing about the pavilion, I'm sure you're all starting to see now, is the lights are coming on, um, and it changes complexion at night time completely, it just starts to glow, and uh, Blue Bottle Studios were another collaborator that uh, worked on the lighting, and um, so there's lots of parts to this structure, and the, and the, the kiosk uh, at the back changes colour also, I think, is that every month it changes? Yeah, it's every month, it was the, the team, the M Pavilion team that uh, got this idea that we could do some collaborations to to get engaged with more people. And I love it because uh, to me, I see M Pavilion as a kind of platform. The more people you can get involved, the better. So we got um, Dulux to be involved with this um, uh, the kiosk colors. And it, we had a difficulty to choose color. So they said, why don't we share colors all the time? I said, why not? So we chose uh, four colors to match with four months. So that, that was the idea. It looks terrific. And the other unique thing about this collaboration is it's mostly female. 
Uh, you have a strong <laughs> female-based office, I notice. And uh, I think, just looking through the, the uh, people who have worked on it, Peter and Nigel, I think you're, you're on the outcast in terms of the profile. Um, <laughs> which is quite interesting, isn't it? Uh, they're lovely. Yeah, they're all lovely? They're lovely. They're, lovely. <laughs> they're, they're okay. No, they're lovely. <laughs> Is sustainability a big part? I mean, it has in previous M pavilions, various architects lean on that more heavily than others. Um, I'm wondering, I mean, you mentioned before you wanted everything, but um, it's difficult, isn't it, when you've got to pull, make something work from ground up and, and it's got to, it can't, can't um, fail because it's a second-hand material. What, are the, what were the aspirations and what are the aspirations for your all zone and, and, and this sort of commission? We want, uh, as I said, we want it to be a place that people can come together easily like this. This is a perfect condition that I, I love. It's like, it's not uh, a place where you, you get in and you're like, ah, maybe I'm not part of this. We want people to just walk by and, uh, and, and think, wow, what is that? Let's... Let's check it out. And then they say, ah, it's nice. Let's have coffee. Let's call a friend, maybe hang out together. And um, I told people in, in the team in my office that uh, if in 20 years you see a photo of a family with our M Pavilion as a background, that I'm done. That's success in your, yeah, in your, in yeah. your terms. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I guess the sustainability question, Naomi, is, is, is the ultimate um, gesture is this building has a life after its use in the park here. It's designed to be dissembled, relocated and keep on going. Yeah, uh, and, it's, and it's re, not a, yeah. reuse, sorry. Reuse is a very important part of what we do want out of these pavilions. And when they're relocated, we want them to be used as community spaces and um, educational because this connects... Australian architecture students with Rasha Porn and her um, practice in Bangkok, which is extremely important for us. So it gives our Australians access to this type of thinking. It also gives them access to all of the people who've worked on this. And um, I think that Sam gave me a statistic the other day which said we've worked with around 4,000 collaborators over the 10 years. This will be our 10th year after this one. And um, it's so important to us that everybody is able to learn something from this. Yeah, that's exactly right. And, and uh, what a contrast each year is. If you compare last year's pavilion to this one, it's just chalk and cheese. Um, I'd, I'd just like to speak to Leanne and Chloe a bit more because um, uh, this sort of structure is embedded in your thinking. Um, in terms of uh, the research you're doing, Leanne, particularly, and Chloe, the way you assemble things. Could you just expand a little bit about what this pavilion, this is, how it works as an exemplar? Um, well, I think um, the main thing to gain from it is that, um, you know, light is right. So lightweight structures really have an impact that you just cannot have with any other material. Um, soft soft materials um, and I think it shows that these things can be permanent and that the, there's no loss of vision so I think Russia Pond's temporary structures that were so joyful um, 
you know, they're not just celebratory for a small amount of time, but they can be permanent. And I think there's already a lot of excitement around where this is going to go. So I think it's a really great thing to teach an alternative way of thinking about structure, form and skin. So what would be the lifespan of this, this building, do you think? Peter, you might know. Uh, well, we've designed the Just building. Just be careful, Peter. We've designed the building in terms of um, wind and everything for a 50-year return period. How many years? 50. Good. Right. Excellent. That's five zero. Excellent, man. <laughs> <laughs> we like that number. Yes. But the, um, I think the only thing I wanted to add was that basically, if you look at this pavilion, and at times I do come and look at it, and when you look from afar, and you look at the structure, you sometimes feel very surreal about it because it looks like as if someone photoshopped something and dropped it into the park. And I think that's the uniqueness of this building, that it's very, very different. Uh, it looks like it doesn't sit here, but at the same time, it sits here very well. And I think a lot of that is through the journey that all the team has gone through. And with structures like this, my experience is that the journey itself uh, has to start early, which it happened. And I think also what you, we find is that everybody uh, came into looking at this structure with no egos. And I think that's very crucial because that helps everyone look at something. You've got a good idea, we'll push it. Uh, you have another idea, we'll try it. So I think um, Naomi's given that uh, impetus to us to try something new. And then I think as a team, we've all managed it as well, including Oasis as well. I think um, you've forgiven me about the Velcro now, haven't you? <laughs> she, she, she had Velcro everywhere because up on the top fishing net, it's actually put together with Velcro. And again, that's pushing the boundary of how we use Velcro as well. So, so those black stripes up there are all Velcro? Yeah. They are not the one on the STFE, the one no, on the, the, one on the, on the very top. top. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I can but see them. They're, they're actually covered in the, the same material shade cloth on top of 50 it. 50-year guarantee on the Velcro? Uh, when totally. When we put it uh, to the new structure, we have to rivet some parts together after that. And that's for the permanent structure. For the temporary structure, it's fine. So, Rashaporn, um, back to you. Um, we're going to wrap up in a moment. Is there anything else you'd like to share with us about this fabulous structure you've created? Um, actually, we didn't talk much about this, but the difficulties, I mean, talking about technical, the dif difficulties of um, the pavilion is actually at the edge also, when everything meets. That's, uh, I have to really give this credit to Nigel and his team that uh, they, are, they were working so hard on the geometry of how everything would, would meet uh, so precisely that uh, we never seen any engineer has done this before to me. I mean, I never worked with any engineer that's kind of goes into this much details and uh, well Nigel's got good resources that he can lean on <laughs> his firm's a little bit bigger than yours I, I guess I so slightly 51,000 employees I think at ACOM <laughs> it's, it's a guy called Ken actually yeah Ken. <laughs> his, on, name Ken. Is, his name is Ken Ken is, is he here today no Ken, Ken couldn't make it unfortunately but Ken got involved with the geometry of the nosing and 
I sat beside Ken and Ken is absolutely brilliant and I said we've got to you know try and match the nosing so that the angle of the top surface blends to create that triangular nosing and Ken went to work and he did an absolutely fantastic job scripting it all it, it was effectively programmed and modeled in 3D so we, we did computer programming to model out the geometry uh, and then passed it obviously to Rashporn's team as well. Yeah and uh, again uh, um, I didn't do this on my own I have a huge team in my office. What seven people? No more than that but then they've been doing this uh, they, they were doing this uh, really uh, putting a lot of efforts uh, because the fabric, it's difficult to understand. So we had to make a lot, a lot of mock-ups from like 1 to 20, 1 to 10, 1 to 1s. But then the, you can imagine like if it's too small, you, can, you cannot make the waffle. If it's too big, it's, we, don't have, we didn't have enough uh, space. So, so we, end up doing, we ended up doing 1 to 10. And it took us like two months to just do the model, the waffle to understand how the waffle would behave. So it's really a lot of people, um, energies. Is the waffle going to keep appearing in your, your work, do you think, Rashmore, or is it out of the system? Um, it's, I'm, not, I, I'm not attached with the waffle, but it's just that for the time being, it's interesting to explore. Today I went to Peter's office and I asked him, but uh, Peter, can we do like tension with waffle? He said, of course, why not? <laughs> so we see. Watch this space. But I do think the light is extremely important, as Chloe and Leanne have said. I think that... Do you want to talk a little bit about the way you feel about light? Yes. You mean the, the light, especially in Melbourne? Yeah. Um, actually, uh, first time I came to Melbourne was long ago. Um, and... Um, 2019 it was I think the the weather was not that uh, sunny was mildly sunny but um, uh, I think the light here is very strong but it's extremely beautiful and also uh, I think it's it's very nice if we can have a space that is lighted but not too strong and um, I have a very good friend here Susie she told me, she's a, a local Melbourne, uh, she told me about uh, the sunlight in summer in Australia, that it is so strong, that it's nice, but it's so strong that you, you have to find a way to, to deal with it. So we kind of try very hard to understand uh, the light and uh, how we going to use, how we were going to use different layers to, let's say, to tame the light. That finally, being under the shade, is, uh, it becomes comfortable. And uh, also, uh, not only that, uh, we don't want the inside to be dark. Like, usually when you put up this kind of roof, the, the center would be slightly dark. But then, the way that we ended up using these layers with the waffle structure that uh, allowed the light to go through, uh, diffuse uh, and um, regulate the, the quality of the light uh, in the interior space. Not, it's not really an interior, inside, yeah. I came, I came here when, oh, about 
an hour and a half ago when the sun was out and I actually wanted to come in to the middle of thank this trip to get out of the hot sun. So I think it's working. Okay, thank you. <laughs> well, look, um, I'd like to thank all our panellists today for joining us uh, and I'd like to congratulate them all on their fine work. And uh, to you, Naomi, again, for a wonderful, generous gesture for Melbourne, the city of Melbourne. Uh, it's a beautiful thing you do and, and when results like this come out of this wonderful generosity, it, it's to be shared by everyone, um, whether they're just going by the tram and looking in or whether they're actually in here, a part of this, this wonderful festival of events you have while the structure's here. Uh, so congratulations, Naomi. Congratulations, Ratchaporn and your team. And thank you so much to all the panellists. If everyone could give them a, a bit of encouragement, thank you. Thank you, Naomi. Not, not only to me, but uh, I would like to say the last words. In architecture, usually we don't get many chances to do experiment. People want to cut a certain solution, as Peter said. <laughs> like, they start to call a lawyer. But, um, but how do you go on without doing experiments? Uh, the fact that we got COVID vaccines so quickly because they have done really huge experiment before and during the COVID so that we got the vaccine. But in architecture, it rarely happened. I don't know many uh, opportunity in, in a global level that a client allow architect to do such a thing. So I think I am very grateful, not only for me, but for architects uh, and architecture in general. Thank you so much. You're listening to an Empavilion podcast. Conversations about design and the world we live in. For more, visit our archive at mpavilion.org and subscribe wherever you find your podcasts.